We are stepping into a brand new series today, and uh, perhaps you were looking at all of the uh, lobby markings and, and bulletin announcements of fresh air. What does that mean? And uh, I, I want to just set it up a little bit. We're about to go into a, about three or four weeks worth of just a special time for our church to focus in on something that I think is very important. It was about six months ago that I began to pray, Lord, what are you doing next? And we had come out of our Daniel series in the summer and went into the fall, and uh, then we did our Connect Group series in the space between. And, and, uh, and then Pastor Choco last week, how about that? That was amazing uh, to speak a fresh word to us. But I was praying forward and saying, God, what do you want to do in us? I really felt like the Lord said, make room for me to meet with the people. And uh, what I mean by that is, uh, in the busyness and the hustle and scuttle of life, we can, uh, we can get kind of caught in ruts and kind of run into catch up all the time. And uh, we can even do that with church. And so, you know, I mean, going into the fall with all the business, I mean, we're about to go into the holiday season and Thanksgiving and Christmas, and some of you already put up your Christmas trees. What's wrong with you? You know, I mean, it, it, we're already in that kind of that mode of, uh, of, of, of going into hecticness and so that we can be happy. <laughs> and, um, and I think when it comes to church, we can even kind of gauge our value of going to church, not to church on is it practical to my life only? Is this only apply to three ways to have a better friendship or, you know, eight ways to smile at people better or whatever it may be? And we can get caught up in actually thinking of church as a place where we get information and dispense information. But I think it's most important for us to consider that perhaps in the middle of a crazy world around us, there's another value the church that I'm going to talk about during this series. And, uh, and then I want to make room at the end of our services every single week for you to meet with God. And I just want to state it right up front that we're going to do worship. We're going to sing worship. would be a better way of saying start worship uh, at the end of our services. And it's going to be a time for you to meet with God. And so I want to encourage you to take steps of faith and stretch a little bit further than maybe you have before in your worship expression to God, but choose to meet with him, not just on the outward, but on the inward, and to have that confrontation, that moment with God, because it will change your life. You see, out of all the things that we do as a church that makes the church different, it's the presence of God. And when you go to a football game, there's moments of exhilaration and there's excitement but it's empty and it stays in that day. It doesn't carry over into your week. But when you are in God's presence, it has a to-go feeling to it. There's an opportunity for transformation in the moment, but an ongoing life of connection to God. And I wanna talk about that. So uh, to start off though, I wanna, I wanna just think about the, the natural air that we breathe and uh, the toxicity of the air. Now this is not a climate uh, change message. Don't worry. Some of you are like worried, already polarizing from one side to the other. But I think it's in general, we know that like uh, pollution affects how we breathe. Uh, if you go to LA, how many of you ever been to LA or cities like that? The thing about Los Angeles is it's right on the ocean 
And it's got mountains to the east, the ocean to the west. The winds come off the west, off the sea, into the city. And millions of people and all their activity, their vehicles, the, the, the um, exhaust from buildings and manufacturing companies and that kind of thing, all of that is smoke, if you will, going up into the air. And the wind blows from the west in, but then it gets trapped by the mountains and as it's trapped in the valley, that becomes what we call smog. Anybody ever hear smog? And the smog actually kind of sits there. You don't always even get to see the, the buildings. And you've perhaps seen this in other major cities around the world. But the, the smog keeps in. Now, the impact of that pollution remaining amongst all the other oxygen, nitrogen components that we breathe in... Uh, is actually pretty significant on the lives that grow up in that. And so it impacts skin intonation and health of the skin. It impacts how uh, the body functions and the level of oxygen levels that reach uh, people. It affects lifespan. It affects the ability to live long or not. And, uh, and we even have we have pollution in the air in Minneapolis-St. Paul. And so we're, we deal with the same thing. The only thing we've got is flatter land, and the wind blows it out sometimes. But um, that pollution has a toxic effect on our lives. And, uh, and the pollutants that are floating in the air impact us. Now, perhaps you've thought of that in terms of just the air, but what about in terms of our... Uh, social interconnectedness to the culture that's around us because we're in a toxic era. Pollutants are floating around in the air everywhere you go. Anger bumps into you and cynicism and divisiveness and dangerous activity is reaching around the corner everywhere you go when you go online and, and if you click on one thing the wrong thing and pornography is right there in front of you and and it's all around us and not only not only in the sense of sinful stuff activity that that I do but the people around me impact me and uh, you know we have you know there's secondhand smoke that impacts people with smoking and kids that grow up around smoking and it affects their their lungs it affects their lifespan well there's secondhand toxic activity around us in the culture around us that affects us we would we'd be lying if we didn't say that and recognize that it actually is impacting us we can get we don't even know why we're angry anymore and we could be driving down the road and somebody cuts us off in traffic and we're like, <laughs> and things are coming out of us that we don't even know where they come from. And, and it's, it's the toxicity of the culture that we're in. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? And, and people are wanting clean air. In the natural, worldwide, people are wanting clean air so bad in China where they have major pollution issues. Somebody got the idea that they could make a lot of money so they started bottling up air, fresh air, and selling it. You can go online and, and get it. I've got a, a can of it here. It's Vitality Air. And 100% uh, pure Rocky Mountain air. You can get this for $28 online right now, okay? They're going to owe me a check for this, I guess. In China, you can get it for $160, okay? But they feel like 
in the toxicity of the, of the air around them, just a few breaths makes a big difference. Come on, somebody. Fresh air. But the truth is, fresh, unpolluted air does help us. And we need it. Think about it. When people are in trauma and they're in a, on a ambulance, what do they do? They put the oxygen mask on them and they want to restore them to normal levels. And we don't even realize it. Sometimes I think we've been living with less oxygen than we really need. And the purity that comes in that helps us function the way we are originally intended to function. It seems outrageous, but what people do for the natural pursuit of oxygen and clean air, we need to do as well. And biblically speaking, the purest air in all the world is the presence of God. In the beginning, God breathed in the dirt and he gave humanity its first breath. Genesis 2, 7. says that the, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man became a living person. Wow. You have this dust, this nothing sitting there. God creates a human being and then he breathes into the nostrils of this human being and now there is life. Without the breath, no life. With the breath, full of life. And that's how the creator began the journey of our story. We need the creator's breath. It's a critical need for humanity to remain connected to the, connect, to the creator's breath, to inhale heaven and excel the junk that's around us. There's no replacement for connecting with your creator, to breathing in the fresh air of his essence. Turn to the person next to you and say, take a breath. <laughs> See, God's fresh air has no carcinogens, no diminishing values, no condemnation, no shame. God's fresh air can restore dying parts of the soul that have been abused and endured the pollution of the world that's around us. God's fresh air can strengthen the weakest person and stabilize those who are shaky and shaken and weary. God's fresh air can breathe for you when you feel like you can't breathe at all. And the way the writers of the scripture spoke concerning fresh air was entering the presence of God. They would talk about there was a difference of being in his presence and not being in his presence. There was something about pursuing him. Moses met fresh air for the first time when he was out on the backside of the desert and he was basically the, on the FBI's most wanted list back in Egypt. And he was like nothing on a, in his life. He didn't have a future nor a hope. He was taking care of sheep. And here this burning bush springs up and God speaks out of a burning bush to him. And Moses became a quick 
acquainted with the presence of God for the first time. And so much so that he became addicted to his presence all the way back to Egypt and, and he went through all of the, the objections about God, I can't speak and I can't do this and I can't do that. And God said, don't worry, I'll be with you. I'll go before you. I'll give you favor. And he did signs and wonders. And sure enough, Moses leads the nation of Israel out of captivity, out of slavery into the, into the desert. And there God established the laws for Israel of how to have relationship in the presence of God. And, and Moses kept going and meeting over and over and over with God's presence because he knew though he had leadership skills and though he could do uh, the functions of leadership that he was required to do, he was nothing without the presence of God. In Exodus 31, we see where it says in verse 11, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. There was a conversation that took place, a face-to-face -face thing. It wasn't like some big guy behind the curtain that you could not talk to. No, there was a relationship in the sense of presence where he would communicate back and forth as a friend speaks to a friend. Do you know God that way? In such a way that you can speak to him face to face, share as a friend would share your innermost concerns and desires and joy. Can you process that way with him? Because the psalmist and others that would follow throughout all of scripture would speak about the desire just to be with God, to speak to him and to be in his presence. One time when Moses told God, that he simply could not go into the future without God's presence. He couldn't lead Israel, it says in verse 15, Exodus 33. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. Wow. What Moses said is not only was it important for him to meet with God, it was important for him to go into the future with God or not go there at all. This church began in 1963 with a small handful of families who gathered together with the belief in the word of God and what it says that if they read it, followed it, believed in it, and they talked to God, sung to God, met with God, prayed to God, that his presence among them would change the world. And they believed, simple faith-wise, that they were coming together not only to sing songs, to be together, but they were coming together to experience God together. That when they would gather, the, the presence of God would be here. And they determined that no matter what happened and the fads that would go through the church world and all the new hippest way to do church and communicate truths, no matter what all those things were, that they were going to have God's presence or nothing. And they decided they would do it. And so I am now the third pastor holding a baton from previous generations 
that has a responsibility to say to this generation of Emmanuel folks that you and I can't go into the future without God's presence. We can have the best topical sermons. We can have the best practical ways to get along with your neighbor and to practically be practice social justice around the world. We can come up with all of that stuff and miss the boat. The thing that makes us different than anything else is God's presence. When people walk in, they meet with God in the house of God. It's his presence. The next generation needs to know that. They're used to seeing the strategic plans of their parents and the plans for vacations and plans to build houses and the plans to pursue education and the plans to do all kinds of things with our lives. But those things won't help the next generation. The generation that's following my generation, the old generation now. They're looking to me and they're looking to you and they're looking to us and they're saying, why should I go to church? Why should I be a part of this stuff? Because now there's groups of people that gather together for social causes outside the church. They want to do what's right outside the church. I'll tell you why the next generation needs Jesus. Because when they experience the presence of God, it enables them to be transformed in such a way that when they walk outside the doors, they have the power of God with them to change the world around them. They need to see it in us, in this generation. I'm starting to preach now. Watch it, Nate. Back up. God's presence, the fresh air, is the cry of every person we meet from Genesis to Revelation. God intervening and breathing new hope and life into people. And then seeing the sad stories of people losing sight of God's presence and paying the price of breathing only the toxic air of the temporary world around them. Jesus showing up eventually in the story of scripture and providing a way for us to reconnect to the creator. His death and his resurrection were like the the hose from heaven being reconnected to humanity. Sin had been blocking our airway and Jesus was clearing the way for the pure, sweet, hope-filled oxygen of heaven to restore our souls. And then later on, churches that had gathered, and they lost their way. They did great things. They raised lots of money. They helped people that were hurting. And then in Revelation, Jesus would have a word for each of those churches and some of them, he said, I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. We cannot lose our first love. And if we have, we need to get back to it. To remember, there is nothing like the presence of God. We are encouraged in scripture to pursue and return to our first love. And our goal in this series is to challenge all of us everywhere at Emmanuel to not just do church, or get caught up in religious formatting, but to remember to breathe. Turn to the person next to you and say, breathe. To inhale the fresh air of heaven and exhale the toxins of the world that is around us. We are encouraged to pursue the pure presence of God, to connect to him, to seek, to be aware of his presence. Yes, the Lord is everywhere. Some of you are saying, well, he's, he's omnipresent. God's everywhere. 
However, we aren't always omni-receptive. We're not always picking up on him because we've been polluted. And so we need to remove the pollution to inhale and exhale. Our vision can get distorted. Our hearing gets muffled. Our conscience can become seared. And for this series, we're going to take the time when we gather to pursue God his way, to breathe in the fresh air and to detox. And when we do, there are promises in the scripture what happens in his presence. Psalm 16, you make me, make known to me the path of life, the psalmist says. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence, things are different. It doesn't mean everything is going right. But when I know his presence is with me, woo, everything changes. And I can discover I have refuge in God. No matter where I am in any condition, no matter what my circumstances are, I can find full joy, pleasure in that moment. Psalms 97, the psalmist said, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. In his presence, he has the capacity to melt mountains. This is language of the impossible. How many of you have impossible things in your life? Things that you think there's no way around. Concerns and worries that are anxieties hanging out all over the place in your heart. And God says, the psalmist says, in God's presence, mountains melt like wax. In other words, those things that are too big for us go down. You know what I think happens? I think we carry too many mountains inside us. And we try to figure out how we're going to make it, how we're going to get up just a little bit earlier this week, how we're going to study a little bit more in class, how we're going to spend more time with our friends, how we're going to do our business better, coming up with the next idea to work harder. And meanwhile, while we're carrying all of that work, all of that weight, we get anxiety. We get weighed down. And it becomes bigger to us than maybe it really is. It becomes a mountain. But in his presence, when you're with God, and the one that sees it all and knows it all, there he has the capacity to take the mountains in our heart and melt them so that we can breathe and be free again. Psalm 27, or excuse me, Psalm 23, the great psalm where David speaks of the Lord being his shepherd. He says in verse four, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. David is speaking of actually walking through seasons where death is around him. Loved ones and friends who have died. It's probably the deepest place of grief that we can know when somebody we love or somebody we care about is gone. And David says this, he says, you can walk through that valley And he's talking about himself. He says, I can walk through that valley because I know you're with me. You see, sometimes when we're in the middle of the dark valley, we don't have the courage ourselves. We don't have what it takes to keep walking. But with God and his love and his attention, the psalmist says this, I can walk through. Why? 
because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, he says, I get courage from you as I walk because I'm not alone. I've walked alongside many widows in our church who have lost their husbands and I've seen them make it through the difficult, dark seasons of time simply because they didn't, you know, when they got married and they were walking with their husband and they were walking with Jesus, their husband's now in eternity and now they're not alone, they're now with Jesus. And because Jesus is still with them, he gives them the courage to keep going. People that don't have that kind of knowledge of, of Jesus being with them, they're overwhelmed by the challenge and the shadows of darkness. But the people that know that he's with us, woo, now I can walk. I don't understand it. I don't know how to make it. I can't even figure out tomorrow. But I know if God is with me, I can make it through any valley that I'm in. If he's with me, I can handle anything. Anything. So how do you experience the presence of God? Well, we have an invitation from him. He's invited us to spend time in his presence. And there's a process to meeting with him. Turn with me to Psalm 100. Psalm 100, the psalmist speaks about the process of meeting with God. And he says, shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Love this psalm because it speaks about the process, the process of me becoming aware of his presence, not just going in, but me becoming aware of his presence. And he says very clearly that we are to acknowledge, in verse three, acknowledge that the Lord is God. Acknowledge, everybody said acknowledge. acknowledge. To acknowledge is to state a fact and become aware of it, to say it out loud. All right, I'm admitting it. It's true. I remember when I finally had the courage to say out loud, I love you, Jody. It was like a moment. It was a bridge I crossed over. And before that, it was just in me. She didn't know about it. She might have guessed. She wondered, does he like me? She might have wondered, you know. But when I said, I love you, now that was also a dangerous part of that because I knew if I said, I love you, and she goes, well, I like you. How many of there's a problem on the other side of that, right? But it was very important for our relationship to go further for me to say, I love you. When it comes to your relationship with God, you have to acknowledge that he is God, that you need him, that the Lord is God. There's a a statement, if you will, of saying, I know that you are the creator and I don't understand everything about you, but I want to acknowledge it where you state it to him. Not to everybody around you, but you state it to him. How many of there have been a problem if I'd said to everybody but Jody, I love Jody, 
and I never said it to her. That would have created an awkwardness in our relationship. So it was very important that I said it to her. With God, I have to acknowledge to him what's in me, not just to everybody else, okay? Verse four, enter, everybody said enter. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, courts with praise, his courts with praise. Enter his gates, enter. To enter is a process of movement. To enter and to go into that court of praise is an action process. So I want to move in and I'm, I'm opening the door into his gates with thanksgiving. So that thanksgiving is the first part. To be thanksgiving, uh, to, to offer thanksgiving is to say something out loud that you're thankful for. Now we're heading towards thanksgiving so we're used to saying this kind of thing and families do this around the table, one thing you're thankful for. But I would guarantee that every person on the sound of my voice, you have a moment, many moments actually, that if you were to look back at all your years, you have something to be thankful for every year of your life. Okay? On the count of three, I want you to say your age out loud. <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't hear anybody's age, and you're like, some of you lied. I just want you to know this is a house of God. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Lord, right? Um, but if, think about every year of your life. Do you have something to be thankful for? Enter his gates with that. Not, Lord, this day is terrible. I hate it. Everything about everything you do in my life stinks. You're not like starting it off right. You know what I'm saying? That's probably not the best way to... Enter, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And then he says, his courts with praise. Praise, biblically speaking, is actually an action word. It's an expression outwardly of something that's on the inside. It's not a feeling. Praise is not a feeling. I don't feel like praising today. Praise is a declaration, an action of a truth. Is God in charge of the whole earth? So when I praise him and I go, Lord, you're in charge of the whole earth, I'm declaring a truth before I feel it. Feelings follow your actions. When you declare it and you think it and you declare it and you think, then your feelings fall behind that. I think too much of our life is praising the bad junk in our life. We're declaring and following the mountains instead of the presence that mounts, melts mountains. And so what we have to do is we have to enter, declare who he is after we've thanked him. But then we also have to begin to say it, Lord, even though I don't feel it, I know you're in charge. You hold the whole world in your hand. You are Jehovah Jireh. I can trust you with my life. You can order my steps if I give you my heart, my life, and I trust in you. I can follow you. So you begin to declare it. That's what praise is. Okay, and this is, then he says, for the Lord, verse five, the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to what? Each generation. That means it's not just for you, but for your kids and your grandkids. Let me just speak to parents for a second. Sometimes I think we need to understand what's really going on. You aren't just praising for you. You're praising for your grandkids. 
You're praising and you're moving and you're declaring and you're speaking God's truth over your life and the next generation will follow after you. Unfortunately today, too many in the next generation are following the voices that are grumbling and complaining and pointing out the faults of the world around us. And we wonder why the next generation after us doesn't want to be around us. Selah. See, what we need is the fresh air of heaven, his presence. We're going to meet with God to breathe in his fresh air. And we are his children. And he's not on empty. Hello. We have hope when we are with him. And his presence, his personal connection to him is our creator. So today, this is how I want to move into the next part of our service. I think it's time for us to begin to breathe in the fresh air. How many of you have ever gone on an airplane and the flight attendants get on and they tell you about where the exits are and most of the plane's not really listening to them, but they, they talk about how you got to move, you know, your seat could be a floating device and here's the exits and make sure you go there. And they also have this moment where they talk about the oxygen mass that dropped from the ceiling. You guys know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and one of the instructions that they give, they talk about how to pull the thing out and and it may not necessarily inflate, you know, it might not inflate, but you still got to put it on. They also say this, if you have family members with you or people that you care about, you put your mask on first. And the reason they say that is you're not going to be any help to them if you lose sight, if you lose oxygen. And I would just like to say this to you today, before all the people that are on your heart and you're concerned about, your friends, your family members, your work. Perhaps you own a business and you're concerned about the business. Before you worry about taking care of all of them, you need to put the mask on yourself. And you need to connect with your creator and allow him to begin to breathe through you. Some of you, you'll come off your anxiety attack as he breathes through you and gives you his peace. Some of us, we're going to be in here and we need to be reminded who we are in him and to connect with him. And so today, we're gonna worship and we're gonna enter his gates with thanksgiving. We're gonna enter his courts with praise. We're gonna walk through and we're gonna meet with him. And this is something I can't do for you. I can't meet with God for you. I can't tell him you love him for you. You have to meet with him. And I'm gonna challenge you as we move in this series to go one step further than you ordinarily would go to meet with him. On our campuses, we're gonna stand and I'd like you to stand with me right now. Stand if you're watching online too, wherever you are. And I wanna challenge you to breathe out, the exhale the toxins and now begin to meet with God and breathe in the purity of heaven and meet with him. You know what happens when I start meeting with God? Sometimes when I'm singing, I start leaving the song and I just start talking to God. Sometimes it's in my prayer language. Sometimes it's about the concerns of my heart. But I stop worrying about the people around me, even when I'm on the platform, which could be a problem if I'm trying to lead a service. But I start meeting with God and I am at my best when I'm face to face with my creator. You are your best 
when you humble yourself before the one who created you and you allow him to come around you and to melt the mountains of your life, to remind you that he's with you as you walk through your valley, to be encouraged in the strength that he wants to give you, to shut out the lies that perhaps have been uttered in your heart and your head throughout the week and to remember that you are a son of God, you are a daughter of God, and that he is with you even now. And so as we go into worship, I want to encourage you on each of our campuses, get out of where you're standing, find a spot to worship. If you want to come to the altars to worship, you can do that. We'll dismiss the service in just a few moments, but a few minutes, but I want to encourage you to pursue him, to enter, to take that action step to meet with God. We're here to meet with you, Lord. We're here to meet with you.